always at the end of every book there are things you will be unsatisfied with and still more things later on you will realize were not quite right but mistakes are part of what a book is that itchy dissatisfied feeling at the end of a novel is useful it's what keeps you writing and gets you writing the next one it's what keeps you learning maggie o'farrell Welcome to Her Own Words, a Dear Damsels podcast. We're Abby and Bridie, the team behind Dear Damsels, and this podcast is part of our overall mission to provide a platform for women's voices, which is what we've been doing online and in print for the past five years. We want to share the stories of women in their own words. In this episode, we're going to be talking you through our most recent theme on the site, which is play, and we're going to be sharing recordings of our writers reading their brilliant work. We're also going to discuss experiencing imposter syndrome as a writer and as a person and how to manage it. Bridie started us off by reading a quote by Maggie O'Farrell. Why did you pick this one, Bridie? So I've recently been shaming the In Writing podcast by Hattie Chrishell. And I think you actually recommended it to me a couple of podcast episodes ago. And I think I maybe listened to one at that time and then forgot about it. And then I just went backwards and I've just been listening to them consistently. The last episode of the season is with Maggie O'Farrell and I found that the way she spoke about writing and identifying herself as a writer, really, really interesting. She talks about this difficult part of a novel and how the difficulty is basically what keeps you going. Like you're trying to always navigate that, trying to unpick this thing you've created. And also just people who are like, writing's really hard. She's like, yeah, it's really hard. Like really being quite acknowledging that, but also saying it's a privilege to write. It was a really nice way of looking at these two points of view that you hear a lot of writers discuss when they're talking about their craft. I also think it fits into our discussion that we're going to be having later about imposter syndrome. You know, that idea of being unsatisfied of things not being right, which is something I experience all the time. Um, But how you can turn that negative feeling into positive. It's your motivation to capture what you couldn't then and keep trying to capture it again and again afterwards. I think that's really really key to being a writer you know it doesn't mean you have an end goal we talk about this quite a lot like you don't have to have a finished piece you just need to keep writing keep finding a daily way to interact with the world and express yourself so I really liked it really thought it really captured a lot of how we talk about writing on this podcast and how me and you talk about writing a lot as well I listened to that episode with Maggie O'Farrell as well and I thought it was really good her her writing shed sounds really nice but also I really like the way she talks about how that feeling of it never really being finished is actually quite a useful way to make you want to move on to the next thing and because you always want to be getting better and and writing the next thing such an interesting question of when a novel is done it could you could just always keep editing it if you're never going to have that feeling of something being finished at least being aware of that feeling and using it for something else whenever you get to like a certain point that you think would feel like a finishing line actually it can often be a bit anticlimactic and never really feel like you're there or like you're finished or you're done I mean when you say that I just think of my cross stitch that I did <laughs> from like April to December last year and finished nothing to show for the six months of my life just gonna put it in the cupboard pretend it isn't there so cross stitch writing can be one tip for the quote I'm sure it works so that brings us on to recently on Dear Dancers where we're going to be catching up on our most recent theme on the website and all of the pieces of writing we've shared in response to this our first theme of 2021 was play After a year stuck on pause, we really wanted to explore the things that we all do just for ourselves. What would be different if we took things a little less seriously, if we followed our curiosity, experimented a little and allowed things to get messy? These submissions were actually a very good distraction. They were, we were reading them during the second, third, the third and the hardest lockdown. 
so it was January, February time that we yeah, released. Yeah, we launched it in February, didn't we? So we spent all the January these pieces and being like, oh, <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah, it's such a lovely escape into topics as wide ranging as folklore. There was stuff about video games, teenage nights, and also childhood games. And that last one is the topic we thought we'd start the discussion off with. It was probably what we received the most amount of submissions on I think we maybe it was because we were so stuck in lockdown mode and like play to us I guess we were sort of just thinking of ways to entertain ourselves during lockdown so maybe we weren't able to quite access the free the happiness and freedom of childhood play but through these through these pieces we really were but actually it was lovely to read writers exploring the ideas of innocence and that real freedom like genuine freedom that you only get in childhood and also all the inventiveness of childhood play too one piece that dives into this most immersively is by charlotte evans which was a poem it was like a prose poem wasn't it called laura may charlotte rose and it's about the games her and her sister used to play it really digs into how messy and destructive childhood play can be and it ends with really loved how it ended with her mum saying about playing nicely and that that like term is such an interesting thing isn't it this idea that as a child you're told to play nicely but that doesn't I'll tell you what that is oxymoron Bridie <laughs> so literally I'm so proud of you for that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I love that poem as, as one example of lovely messy childhood play the washing up bowl filled up and placed on a paving slab in summer Tsunami waves slosh over the sides, havoc-causing little hands concoct whirlpools at the centre. Children love to play God, don't they? Every last dreg of squash in the house mixed into a cocktail, diluted with water, lemonade, milk, milk drunk. Show me where it hurts. I will use a whole tube of toilet paper to bandage you back up. Yeah, I really liked as well how Charlotte talked about the idea of children playing God, because that's what it is, isn't it? It's like that's the immersiveness of playing and also the power that you feel from like the potential that your imagination has at this that time like you're right we're reading this in lockdown but probably we had no imagination whatsoever so being reminded of a time where it was really carefree and you could literally rule the world you could play god was really lovely to get in charlotte's poem another poem actually and it was our first piece of the month was something else that delved delved into that idea of how kids can like create whole worlds is Emily Tucker's poem, which she writes from the perspective of her job as a teacher, Plastic Crown, the idea of how kids can transform like the simple act of putting a plastic crown on and then you are, like you are a queen. But it's sort of a poem of two parts because she's talking about how much she loves that, how she loves stepping into those worlds and the connections she has with the kids through that. The second half is sort of about how she's missing it because of the pandemic, so it turns a bit sad. <laughs> yeah, it sounds sad, but I think, again, like thinking about how she's able to put herself in the child perspective, obviously she's a teacher, so it must be something she does every day, is consider the world from a child's eye view. But that is actually really, it's a really freeing way of thinking about things and understanding, you know, what you miss in life is that we were just talking about it, like, you know, how you miss that sort of ability to imagine and change your state of mind, change your state of being really quickly. Another piece that talks about this, especially from a pandemic point of view, is Kat Nugent's piece, The Polymers of Empty Playgrounds. This was a really brilliant piece that discusses that absence as well, in the same way Emily does, like not being able to physically see that imagination in play and using it um, by talking about the image of Kat's local parks being emptied by the pandemic and not having children on the swings and not seeing children in the jungle gym and how that very sad image 
sort of picking up from where Emily sort of ended quite sadly, taking a really sad image of her sitting alone in the park, so she distanced, staring at an empty swing, and turning into something positive, it becomes quite like a symbol of what will return and the promise that it will return, that children will come back to the, this playground and children will fill these spaces again. And playgrounds are a lovely image anyway, because they're such a community-centred place. They're free, everyone can go there, you can sit in the park, mm. and it's like a very it's a good symbol of community I think so being able to relate that back like taking the image of a park and relating it back to like society as a whole in like a broad way I think Kat manages to do it really really well I was just going to pick a quote that she uses to explain it a bit better she writes that the playground became a source of sustenance when I was hungry for hope as much as they remained empty I could see now that they were also full layered with the after images of all the happiness and delight that once thrived there and which in time were thrived there again it is that idea of how playfulness and the idea of play and that, like our desire to play is a real sign of hope, isn't it? It's, yeah, I'd never really stopped to think about how playgrounds are a symbol for that. It's quite a philosophical question, uh, idea to dwell on. Yeah, I think we were quite surprised when it came in and it really changed, made us feel quite philosophical about the lockdown that we were in. Kat will be able to express that clearer than we will. So here's Kat Nugent reading from The Promise of Empty Playgrounds. It was their emptiness that made these playgrounds now impossible for me to miss. There's a word for that unsettling atmosphere of a place once so full of life now abandoned. Canopsia. But the best way I can describe the feeling is like stepping on a broken escalator. You experience a loss of balance, a disorientated wobble caused by an absence of energy which, logically, you already expected. I knew that a playground in lockdown would be empty, the same way that I know if an escalator is broken before I step on it. And yet, it still trips me up. At first, I found the side of them only depressing. These deserted playgrounds were perfect illustrations for the doom and gloom storyline I played repeatedly in my mind. This is it. This is the end. Because really, what is more foreboding than the pained groan of empty swings swaying back and forth in the wind? Maybe only the side of them twisted together and flipped over the top bars, out of reach of little hands entirely. In this new nightmare reality, play had become dangerous even deadly, and these empty playgrounds were symbols of just how freakishly topsy-turvy the world had become. But then one morning, I watched the little boy break the rules. So moving away from childish play and moving into more adult play, not really sure that's the right word to describe it. I quite enjoy that it feels like something you are able to purchase at um, Anne Summers. I mean it's like the move away from childhood and that like escapism that we're talking about not being able to get now but still finding ways to find that that on the childish sort of imagination that we were just talking about there were lots of pieces that sort of explored the pockets of play that you can find in between the demands in adulthood there's a piece by Kirsty Jones that talks about how writing helped her find that inventors again and creativity and she talks about how there's a point at which we stop playing when we're navigating the uncharted seas of adolescence desperate not to misread the compass I think that's definitely something when you try to be serious and you sort of drop all the things that were like playful beforehand or childish and that weren't really adult that's something you definitely do when you're like a teenager you're like no I'm an adult now I have time for this childish stuff and then you get to your late 20s you're like oh bring it back I need it again now wordplay by Kirsty Jones. 2020 came, and amongst the darkness, something shifted. With endless family time and fewer daily distractions, I sprawled on my belly and immersed myself in their world. And the longer I stayed, the longer I wanted to. With one eye pressed to a doll's house window, the figures inside came to life. 
They threw a tea party for whoever could squeeze at the table, though the T-Rex had to promise to behave. Clambering aboard a bed-shaped pirate ship to catch fish and chips for dinner, I could almost taste the salt. It felt glorious to play properly. And yet, I was still playing someone else's game. In the midst of a pandemic, it became painfully clear that life really is too short. How did I want to spend my time? What would make me feel good? The answer was to get brave and do the things I'd been putting off. See, there's another piece as well that sort of reflects that, which is an essay by Nadia Henderson, who writes about finding herself in a new place and how cooking was a reminder of the control that she had and the play that she could still find, even when the adultness of her life, like the big move somewhere, completely thrown her off kilter and was really hard and really demanding. She was still able to find play through cooking. Mm, it was like baking, wasn't it? And that feels like something we it's hard to play with because everybody has like the image of what the end product should be. It's like the perfect, perfect cupcake or whatever. And even though it should be like something where you just get messy and you do have memories of doing it as a child and stuff, but actually you really just want to be good at baking. And I guess also because you really want the cake to come out. You just really want it to be a good cake at the end. It's quite a hard thing to play with sometimes, but um, love that how Nadia talks about like returning to that part of herself, trying again and trying different recipes um, and just love Nadia's writing. It's so nice to, so nice to read about her move to Sweden. Um, and Yeah, we've had a couple of essays from her about her move to Sweden. And I mean, Nadia, if you're listening, please publish like an essay collection of your move because it's really, really interesting to see like the culture clash, but also how her life changes and her perspective changes through these essays. And this was a nice one as well, especially for her being like everything around me is so hard, but I'm still mm. able to find joy. And that was a message that we could really relate to um, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's really nice. That, like play is just finding joy. That's a really nice idea. Also, I just wanted to quickly, this is an annoying loop back, but I reread Kirsty Jones' piece today, Wordplay, and there was a really nice phrase. She's like playing with her kids, but sort of not really got her heart's not in it. And she says she was trying to ignore the dust settling on my soul. And it's trying to realise when you feel dust settling on your soul, when to like know that you need to shake it off with a bit of baking, a bit of bit of something else that we've discussed that I can't quite remember. Um, anyway. It's like the um, shaking off the cobwebs. Like, yeah. Cobwebs of something ignoring the dust in your soul that's how you flip it you have to do something active and yes I've just realized how that could perfectly link into what we want to talk of next <laughs> from metaphorically shaking off the cobwebs to um quite literally going out and having a dance shaking off the cobwebs from your poor lockdown body <laughs> um so yeah much to Bridie's joy we had lots of pieces about the very freeing very playful act of just dancing I realize um, in these notes that I've written from my perspective so I'm like she is missing this a lot <laughs> it's like mm. my birthday recently and I tried really hard to create a dance party with my partner didn't happen he was lying down by 10 and I was like great I'm just gonna listen to ABBA with my headphones on and pretend that I'm with people and dance with me I know that you will have been more successful than probably anyone else would have been in starting your own dance party and getting your boyfriend to join in because there's not many people who can have a dance party of two, but you and Marcus definitely are those people. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that. A good piece that we wanted to talk about that links into dancing in general, going out and actually quite specifically raving, is Diviri Fortes, 
Diberry Forters, I don't know how to say it, by Sarah Kalenos. We're going to include a clip of this one because it is a great, what's a good way to describe it? She is using kind of all the lyrics from Raving and putting it into a really great, like, staccato, bouncy poem um, that, that's one way to shake the dust off your soul. Go have a rave. (laughs) Yeah, and she really sort of captures a very carefree nature of, like, nostalgia, because obviously Mm. she's not 90s early 90s raves um and it's like being in the crowd of a stranger something that we may never do again um and imagining like the Friday. Freedom, yeah. I don't know. June is very that. near at this point we're on track uh, honestly maybe I should go out with Sarah and she could take me raving and it will make me feel much better but I think this is really it really captures like the energy and the excitement and I think we said it already in this piece but potential the potential that play has the potential that a night out has and how everything around you contributes to it being this really euphoric moment. An extract from D. Vidi Fortes by Sara Caleno. Hearts race, pulse soars, tempos pace, sweat pours, pupils dilate, hips undulate, limbs gyrate, limb by limb. We're rushing, we're rushing like voodoo magic man, but we want to beat the crushing so leave earlier than planned. Someone's boyfriend offers to be our taxi man in a red Ford Fiesta, five of us are crammed. He drops us off as far as Richmond upon Thames. We jump between the boats, see the sun come up, break morning's first bread, on the tube, back to ends. So from a light-hearted version of play and dancing and generally having fun, uh, we also had a really interesting turn to the pieces where it was a, a really darker side of play that was interrogated and kind of when things are taken too far, playfulness is sort of used as a guise to really push boundaries. So we had two really interesting pieces that looked at teenage girls playing games. So one of the pieces that did this was Cicely King's Paranoia, which talks about a childhood game that uncovers the insecurities of one teenage girl. I've actually played this game, I played this game a lot when I was uh, 13 to 14, and it's a horrible game. Basically what you do is you sit in a circle and you each take it in turns to whisper something to someone's ear and you say, go up to the person who you think will work in McDonald's when they're 21 or something. And then that person goes to that person, the other the person they think will work at McDonald's and whispers another question in their ear. So you never find out exactly why someone's come to you. And then your job is then to go and do something, like go and whisper something about someone else to someone who you think something negative of. And it's a very warped game. And me and my friends talk about this like regularly now, like what on earth, why? Which is why when it came up and Cicely said in this piece, I was like, oh my God, this is why. Like it's talking about how you're trying to gain some semblance of control and sort of manage the negativity that's being thrown at you from adults and the insecurities and how you don't understand exactly who you are in the world and try to find that by putting the other people down around you because that's what everyone's doing to you. But I just thought it was so clever. And I think it definitely shares a lot of themes with the other piece that we're going to discuss, which is Stone Sheep by Abby Carter. And this is a fiction piece where Cicely was based in paper reality. Abby deals with the idea of childish, like adolescent play that has a massive consequence. When we get short stories as well, you know, we get sent a lot of different short stories. But what we really love is a self-contained world with a really strong purpose. Like this is a moment. This is what you're taking from this. And Abby's piece did that brilliantly. Like at the end, I was truly... I mean, I'm going to give it away. You can have to read the piece. Link in the show notes. But at the end, I was chilled. I really was. 
Mm, it's so good. And I listened to the whole thing actually just before this podcast recording because we now have all the clips that you're hearing. We actually now put the audio as much as we can on the website alongside the piece. So you have the choice to read or listen. I would recommend, we're going to insert a clip here, but I would recommend listening to it all the way through because it completely pulls you into this teenage protagonist's viewpoint of the world and this gang of girls that she's involved with. It's very dark and unsettling, which is always great in a short story. Yeah, so here's Abby Carter reading a section of Stone Sheep. You meet at the corner, as you have done every day for the past two weeks. When you approach with the dog, Cecilia turns her shoulder. She asks why you brought him again. But as you all set off, Joy slips her sticky arm through yours and pats the dog gently on his head. She says it wasn't his fault. When you get to the lake, you walk the perimeter, and then you repeat the ritual, each taking a fat stone and casting it into the water as far as you can. Joy stands closest, so it's her turn to be questioned. Cecilia takes the lead. She asks her where she was on Monday evening, a week ago. Joy says you were all together, at the park, on the swings, and then later behind the chip shop, sharing a bag of scraps. Cecilia spits in Joy's hand, shakes it, and then you do the same. Joy promises not to tell a soul, not even her mother. Her mother's not a good sort, your mother says. So that brings us on to Online Offline, which is a part of the podcast where we talk about discussions that are going on in our communities, on the internet and in real life. And something we wanted to talk about this time was the idea and the experiences of imposter syndrome. So I would describe imposter syndrome as feeling like you're a fraud or you don't deserve to be where you are and that people, I guess it's that feeling that you're going to get found out for being, you know, have like sneaking your way in somewhere or a position that you're not supposed to be in I guess that comes up a lot around writing because particularly because of that idea of like who is a writer who decides that you call your you get to call yourself a writer and I guess that idea of like giving yourself a title sort of thing the idea of imposter syndrome around writing came up in a recent online writing retreat that Bray and I were both at it was a write like a girl brilliant writing retreat led by the brilliant Kerry Wrighton Kerry writing, Kerry Ryan, who, as you know, is our creative writing agony aunt. But what came up was a writer sharing her experience of she's writing this brilliant historical epic Greek novel, so a retelling of a Greek myth. As she was writing it, she saw all these books coming out. Like there's a lot around at the moment. Cersei was one of them. You know, she saw this of like proof of how could she contribute to this area of writing like her ideas surely weren't as good as all those other ones and you know she'd left it too late and what was the point in her adding to that now but then the great thing about this this writing community of write like a girl is that it's super supportive and someone else responded to her by saying the way she could look at it is that instead of seeing those books as competition or sort of proof that her idea isn't as good as the other ones, she could actually see it as an affirmation that 
she's had this brilliant idea and it's an idea that has an audience already and like she's already tapped into the fact that this is something people want to read about and the fact that there are other people writing it and readers really want it is just proof of that brilliant idea she's already had rather than feeling like the time has passed it's like the time there's no no better time than now you can convince yourself of something and someone else can so easily see it differently and and point you in the right direction yeah I think it's so hard for you to ignore that a carry phrase in a critic but also just the imposter syndrome that we feel that even having the audacity to write is something I experience quite a lot it's like who am I to think that something I have is worth saying but again that is like the dear damsel's mo is that every woman has a story that deserves to be heard like that is literally how we operate so if I feel that way about everybody else why can't I feel that way about myself I think it's because writing is quite a solitary act you're with yourself so much and you're you're the one that's going to be like well this is rubbish or mm. this isn't very good and just doubting yourself continuously which is why it's good to have you know writing retreats and groups like write like a girl and also of course dear damsels and talk to people and to have a community around you that is with you and is supportive and can help you and let you know that the way that you're talking to yourself isn't how anybody else would talk to you no matter how mean of a work workshop you're in mm. um I think that like something that talking about that flipping again Kerry who is of course our agony aunt um and does a column with us called damsels in distress uh responded to a recent question which was someone wrote in about feeling like they weren't doing enough as a writer they use the idea of filling in an author bio for a submission and being embarrassed at the lack of recent publishing or titles to their name and Kerry, of course, was brilliant. But one phrase that really stuck with me that I think we can pull out that specifically linked to this imposter syndrome idea is about capitalism, of course. <laughs> so <laughs> Kerry wrote that ego-driven capitalism loves end product. It loves prizes, awards and courses at elite and extremely expensive universities. But as all good writers learn, writing from the ego, angling for awards and adulation kills your writing. Don't create for external validation, create for connection always. You know, it's a similar way that the quote at the top of the episode about Maggie O'Farrell talking about needing there to be something that's on end product, like no book is ever finished, as Abby said, which is a terrifying concept, but it isn't, you know, like capitalism loves an end product. They love a full stop, they love a closed book. And that's not what writing is. I think we definitely talk about that again, as I said at the beginning of the episode, we talk about being a constant process, your constant relationship with yourself and you're constantly trying to find connection. I think it's an interesting thing for me and Abby to discuss because obviously we're both writers, but also both editors. So we see both sides of this and we're very aware of someone sending something to us wanting affirmation, um, which is why we give responses, um, even if it's, you know, not we give specific feedback to our Patreons, but we give feedback to everyone that sends us a response to be like, we acknowledge you, we hear you. Here's some things that might help because it's so brave to even write. Like it's yeah. incredible what people write. It really yeah. is. I think that too I feel like I've said that before on, on this podcast but I really value that courage in others courage is something I value in, in people generally I think that's why I love working with writers so much is because it's really hard to commit to something to commit to yourself and commit to like creating a thing and like you say if you if you decide oh my god I've no sorry I'm not gonna quote <laughs> Adrian yoga with Adrian again. yes you should yes don't, Bridie don't decide where it ends don't decide where it ends which I found really useful when I was on a run the other day don't go for runs ever and I was like don't decide that it ends at that tree Abby just keep going but anyway with writing as well something that Kerry talks about a lot is the idea of it being a practice 
it can't only be for like to get this sort of end product to get something to put in your author bio because that is just not like sustainable is it and it's not gonna it's not gonna make you feel good so you're doing it for you and so you have to you have to remember that and yeah I actually like to like circle back that to one of the pieces we mentioned earlier was it wordplay where where Kirsty Jones talks about like how she sort of rediscovered writing and was taught and and how it's like doing it little and often and just knowing that it's like something's there for you to to do whenever you want and and it's and it's there for you to enjoy stop looking at it as a task and more something that you can do for you god what a ramble that was just so right. there was adrian in there there was kerry i mean i'm gonna talk about sally really so we're gonna really dive in but i mean thinking about like why we started dear damsels like first week you know obviously we think everyone has a story to be told and deserves to be heard but also i think generally we notice that something in the publishing industry no matter how many like women work in the publishing industry or something that happens a lot to women and something that contributes to that imposter syndrome is that you're told that every woman is writing about herself like every book is a reflection of your individual lived experience even if you're writing about a fantasy someone will find a way to link it back to you and even if you've written something we're like this cannot be me someone's going to be like oh well you're young so you're like Sally Rooney like the comparison between existing writers specifically existing women writers I very rarely feel like men ever got to get compared to other male writers in that way unless it's like a new Stephen King because he's the big name in horror like you never get that with other male writers regularly it's a very specific thing to women and it's like we can't exist outside of the context of the other work around us which is what the writer was talking about she was just saying you know all these other books are around she found it really hard to break free of that context but at least if she can acknowledge that she's not writing for them she's not mm. writing to contribute to those books she's not writing to contribute to those worlds but her completely own world and separating herself from that I think that's a really good way to combat imposter syndrome is to really feel of it as your own thing part of a connection part of the discussion part of an ongoing communication but something that will always be individual mm. sorry, always individual because it comes from you and you're an individual writer and you've got something to say that no one else will ever seen that way before mm. I think that's a good way to try and reframe that in your mind yeah that only you can do it in the way that you're going to do it sort of thing like you will always be bringing your own style and approach to something yeah that's so important for it whether it's just not just whether it's personal writing it's worth putting down it's worth writing some words on what you see around you as a starting point because nobody else sees it the way you do yeah exactly and I think like something you're taught on writing courses is there's only seven plots anyway so everyone's been rewriting the same thing over and over and over again so you may as well rewrite it but with your unique perspective that's the goal that's the thing you're never going to be imposter in your perspective because it's yours mm. that's a good way oh that there you go there's a quote on the episode <laughs> Friday I try and be insightful when I'm talking about imposter syndrome that I experienced this morning guys so it happens to me as well <laughs> just constant isn't it just constant but yeah I think involving yourself in communities and putting yourself out there and validating yourself before you let everyone else validate you is the real key and also just writing a lot writing badly writing mm. what you seeing a shopping list as writing seeing a tweet as writing seeing scribbles as writing anything is writing and it's coming from you so yes there's someone I know who can't get past that kind of writing in your notebook and feeling like someone's reading it and so feeling like it has to be perfect. I have realized recently that the way the only way to get over it is just to 
write lots and like you can't possibly keep up that feeling if you're <laughs> like writing every day just writing as much as you can that's the way the way to do it so now we're going to tell you what you need to know about dear damsels this is basically the part of the episodes where we read out the memos on our desk for you but realistically the cards on our trello boards which we talk about every episode because it truly saves our lives this month we've launched Muse and there's already a whole host of great writing for you to dive into. And we've also announced our next online theme, which will be Disrupt. We'll link the letter in the show notes and you have until Sunday the 23rd of May to get us your writing. And finally, we also just want to thank everybody who submitted for our most recent publishing opportunity, which is for a one author collection of work, which will be the first time we've published a collection by just one author. Um, we've got a lot of submissions to go through, more than we were expecting, but you will, you will hear from us, fingers crossed, by the end of May and our patrons, so everybody will get a helpful and timely response and then our patrons will get personalised feedback because that is what they get for being a patron. And if receiving personalised feedback is your kind of thing, we will put a little link to our Patreon in the show notes and so alongside feedback, you can also get access to other perks, which includes writing prompts and actually our writing prompts for Disrupt will be going out soon. Also a list of writing opportunities um, and advice. And you'll also be the first to hear about any upcoming publishing opportunities and general DD news, of which there will hopefully be even more coming up when the world opens up again. And, you know, there's just more, more to say. <laughs> <laughs> here's hoping, Abby, here's hoping. Thank you for listening to Her Own Words. You can read or listen to all the pieces discussed today on our website, deardamsels.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at deardamsels. In the next podcast, we'll be discussing our current theme, news, which has recently launched on our website and is linked in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to share it far and wide and perhaps even subscribe, review and rate it. That is it for now. Thank you very much for listening. Bye, Bri. Birthday, Bri. Bye, bye, bye birthday, Bri. <laughs> Bye, birthday abs in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs>